0: I'm Jim Lang. As you know, last Saturday, storm damaged communities across Ontario and Quebec. In fact, our colleague and What She Said host, Candace Sampson, was one of those affected. She's safe but without power and was unable to produce her show. So please enjoy the best of edition of What She Said right here on 105.9 The Region.
1: By using only Canadian ingredients, my next guest is experiencing firsthand the impact of supply chain disruptions on her business. Sheena Russell is the founder and CEO of Made With Local, a Halifax-based company with a mission to inspire mindfulness and conscious consumption through community connection, storytelling, and food. Sheena joins me now to discuss how she's navigating the frustrating reality of supply chain disruption. Welcome to the show, Sheena. Thanks, Candace. Thanks for having me. I imagine as somebody who went out of their way to create a company sourcing only things within Canada, it must be especially frustrating to be experiencing supply chain disruption. What are some of the hurdles you're facing right now?
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. We've we've built the business to be uh, you know, insured, I think, against some of the things we're seeing out in the world, but there's still those little troubles trickling in like Um, For example, some of our suppliers are having trouble procuring their own packaging. Our peanut butter supplier, for example, could not get their hands on 10 kg buckets. And if you don't have buckets to put your peanut butter in, you can't ship it. So things like that, that sound kind of silly, but have actually caused a significant amount of stress in our business. Um, Freight has also been challenging. The freight timelines, freight costs. Uh, We are based here in Nova Scotia and we ship our products coast to coast to coast uh, all across the country. And uh, it's been it's been really challenging on the freight side, too. So those are just a couple of pain points uh, we've had in the last few months.
1: A lot of people, uh, you know, on social media and, you know, in 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 the media in general are talking about the importance of supporting local. Are you receiving that kind of support uh, from your community and from customers?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we feel it from our customers. We also feel it from our like the buyers at the big grocery stores and the health food stores uh, across the country who are hearing it from their customers. That local matters. And it's something that, you know, we've doubled down on over the course of us being 10 years in business, way back from when we started at the farmer's market here in Halifax. Uh, we've grown a lot since then, but have never wavered from our values to continue to support local farmers and food producers, bake all of our bars at social enterprise bakeries. These are things that, uh, you know, have made it tricky at times to grow a company like ours, but have taken us to this place now where consumers more than ever are looking for companies that really align with these personal values they have.
1: So made with local is Uh, what is called B Corp certified. And this is something that I am hearing a lot of um, from other businesses across the country. Uh, What does it mean to have that certification?
0: B Corp certification is one that has been done by only a few thousand companies in the whole world. And it is a extremely rigorous process. process by which companies become are able to prove uh, that they're hitting sustainability and ethics targets uh, to the gold standard, really. So it's something where we see you know some of the most sustainable sustainability minded companies in the world, like the Patagonias, like the Ben and Jerry's, um, they've really paved the way for B Corp's, I think, and it's something for us here at Made with Local that of all the different, you know, certifications any company can get, especially in the food st- space, B Corp was holds the most weight for us. Um, I like to joke and say, you know, no entrepreneur or no company in their right mind would do. B Corp certification just for fun. You know, it's it's a painful process, uh, but you can when you see that B Corp logo on any product or service trust that the company uh, is doing is doing what they say they're doing. They're walking, their walk and they're talking the talk.
1: So in light of the supply chain disruptions and the rigorous testing you're voluntarily submitting yourself to, what's next for Made with Local?
0: Well, we haven't slowed down at all, really. Thankfully, you know, people are still snacking, uh, pandemic be damned. So we've been really busy uh, despite it all the last couple of years. Uh, next up for us, you know, we're always launching new flavors of our real food bars, which is really fun, working with new farmers and food producers, playing with new flavors. And we've got some really fun product innovation coming down the pipeline uh, in 2022 and beyond. So we're busy as ever, uh, despite these lumps and bumps. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun.
1: If people want to find Made With Local products, where can they find you?
0: Yeah, we're available at most major grocery stores all across the country, actually. So Um, all east to west. We're at Lavalaz, Sobeys, Safeway, Save on Foods, Metro, you name it. So uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere. And also, of course, online. It's a digital age, and we do ship our products uh, via e-commerce. You can find us at madewithlocal.ca and our social channels at madewithlocal. Amazing. And I'm just out of curiosity, what's your bestseller? So we launched a holiday flavor in the fall of 2021 called Chocolate Mint Chip. It's a real food bar that's made with uh, organic gluten-free oats and fair trade cashew butter, fair trade uh, cocoa and pure peppermint oil. It is, absolutely wildly delicious. And we had so much uproar when we tried to wind it down as a holiday flavor that we've decided to keep it on uh, as a mainline flavor going forward. So that I would say is taking the cake as our new best-selling real food bar.
1: Hopefully we'll all find that when we go to the stores and we won't cause more supply chain disruption for you. Uh, Sheena, thanks so much for joining me. It was a pleasure having you. I wish you every success uh, as you move forward with your business. Thanks, Candice. Working moms wear many labels, but maybe none more than Julie Cole co-founder of Mabel's Labels and mom of six including a son with autism. Another label Julie can now affix to herself is published author. In Like a Mother, Julie shares her inspirational stories and lessons learned through parenting her lively crew of kids and building a multi-million dollar business with her co-founders between their children's nap times and playdates. She joins me now
2: to discuss. Welcome back to the show Julie. Thanks so much Candice, so great to be here.
1: So I I just have to disclose to people that I like your friend, I've known you for over a decade. (laughs) So I mean, this is a little weird for me, because I know your personal life. Uh, What was it like for you to share this to a broader, wider audience?
2: you know it's interesting i am um, because i have been blogging for so so long probably over 15 years um you know you and i we were back the ogs back in the day i mean we have adult children now when we're blogging you know when they were wee um so i I feel used to sharing my story. I feel used to sharing my family and being sort of in the public. But what is so funny about this now is like, my kids are, they're so funny. They're like, hey mom, um, you know, if you don't do what we want, we're gonna cancel you. We're gonna say your book is a farce. Like, they're just totally hilarious. I'm like, yeah, you try that, you <laughs> brat. So I mean, so we're having a little bit of fun with it too. But it's, uh, yeah, so putting yourself out there, it's, it's a thing. Um, I actually, interestingly, I always loved blogging. So I thought the process of writing the book would come very easily to me and that I'd really enjoy it. And I didn't find that so much. It, it felt a lot like um, a really, it was overwhelming because it, at first I was like, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I've got so much content and I had other things to pull in. Like I was able to pull in other content from other things I've done and, and kind of piece it together. But it was, I did find it a little bit overwhelming and it felt like you know, when you're at university, you always have like that essay that's hanging over you. And no matter what you're doing, you could be at the pub with your friends, you'd be like, ooh, I should be working on that essay. Or you could be like on a bike ride. ooh, I should be working on the essay. It kind of felt like that for a year. It kind of felt like whenever I was doing something else, this niggling thing was in my head going, oh, you should be working on the book. So I don't think I got into a groove really well, you know?
1: You know what I find interesting, and I'm thinking about this as you're speaking, is, you know, when we blog, we we are, you know, the author, the editor, and you hit publish and it goes out to the public. Now, when you're writing a book, that must be a very different process, and you would get feedback uh, on what you had written before it would be published. So that must have been, challenging to you as well after all those years just
2: sort of self-publishing right no for sure and I mean I have to say even with my blogs I always had a second set of eyes on it because you know you do I am like I do like good grammar and I do like those things but this is where like to your point this is where it gets a little crazy because this is in print so I'm like this has to be gone over and over and over because if there's one comma out of place it is going to drive me bananas right (laughs) so there is one thing about hitting publish on the blog but then the print book is a whole nother thing and also with the blogs Candice as you know like they were just sort of quick like I used my blogs were like four to five hundred words this is like you know, 60,000 words. Like, it's it's—it's a lot of words.
1: <laughs> well, I, I know you, and I know that you're always full of great advice and tips. So, so th- is this book uh, autobiographical or more
2: educational in nature for people? Right. It's a great question. And it's, you know, it's a nonfiction. I'm basically talking about, you know... The, um, the subtitle is Birthing Businesses, Babies, and a Life Beyond Labels. So it's full of mom hacks, parenting hacks, business hacks, um, all of that fun stuff that I, I talk about generally. So it really is like the book of Julie, like just the stuff I've always, when I do speaking engagements, you know, when I, when I write, when I interview, um, it's all that stuff. Because, I mean, you know, you were there in those early days when we we're all building businesses and raising babies and what a gong show it could be at times. <laughs> so I just hope, you know, to inspire, I hope uh, to give some tips to make things easier because a lot of women now, especially through COVID have gone to the side hustle and they are, women are starting businesses three times the time as often as men. We are so entrepreneurial, and, and mothers are so entrepreneurial, so if I can help make the journey a little bit easier for um, a few mamas out there, uh, I'm here for it.
1: Yeah, you know, interestingly, I did an interview just recently, uh, and 60% of Canadians started a side hustle during COVID. 60 wow. 60- That is astounding. And it's more out of need, it's more out of necessity than anything, really. People just need to do this. So uh, I'm sure that this book is packed with great advice for people who are starting out on this journey.
2: Yeah. And I do think like, it's funny with this COVID stuff too. You know, people did start the side hustle 60%. That is astounding. But for me, even it was like writing the book because we had weird, it was a weird time in history. And for me, it was like, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't like speaking at conferences. I wasn't doing any of that. I was like, maybe since I'm kind of landed and grounded that this is the time to write the book. And that was like, that was my side hustle through COVID. And so many people have picked up things like you mentioned. Excellent. All right. I want people to be obviously to be able to pick up your book
1: uh, because I know they're going to be able to pull out great advice from it. So where can they
2: find it? Okay. Well, right now it's only available exclusively um, through my publisher, YGTmedia.com. But come May 3rd, it's gonna be everywhere it's amazon it's indigo it's barnes and noble it's kohl's it's it's gonna be everywhere so uh yeah it's 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 a very exciting time perfect just in time
1: for mother's day
2: you got it well
1: time well time julie well time thank you so much for joining me today we'll
2: have you back again soon thanks so much candace
0: woke up late today and i still feel the sting of the pain but i brush my teeth anyway
1: aged 40 to 64 experience career disruption due to the intersection of bias and discrimination based on gender and ageism. The devastation to their careers, mental health, and financial security can be shattering. My next guest wants to change that. Karen shulman Dupuy is a shift disturber on a mission to make this invisible group of women highly visible to policymakers. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much for having me, Candace. I'm so pleased you're here. I have to say, in the notes that you sent over to me, it was interesting to me that you said in all of the papers and research and webinars about the she-covery, nobody has addressed this group.
3: Literally not one. I think that there was the Hill Times, from what I've seen so far in the last two years, has just recently also said that Canada needs to do some policy work with regards to women and aging but nothing specifically with regards to the career disruption alignment that happens with women in this age group.
1: Let's talk about the reasons for disruption. What are some of the things that are throwing us out of the workforce and then losing the ground we've we've made
3: well uh you know i so i won't spend a lot of time on identifying the fact that gendered ageism is a thing because there's quite literally 50 years of academic literature that actually identifies this Uh, it hasn't had a lot of attention mind you in in the workplace literature which is really interesting um but really is just an indicator of the bias that's there in the research space as well Um, but how women are disrupted it shows up in a multitude of different ways there's kind of the the typical um what we what we assume are disruptions like sexual harassment or abusive bosses or toxic environments and and that stuff that's actually a little bit more easily identifiable identifiable rather but where it also shows up is just women not being promoted or not being given leadership opportunities or being given opportunities that we call the glass cliff, which is where, you know, they're put into projects that people know are going to fail, but as long as they're associated with them, that's an okay casualty. Um, women are literally ghosted in the workplace, just not included in meetings, not included in projects and discussions. And really, it's it's astounding just how many different ways this can show up. And this isn't just corporate Canada. You know, this is also in... In more care industries this happens in in more retail services and service industries as well you know it shows up in a multitude of different ways this is just a snippet of like how women actually experience it
1: and you know one of the things i found most interesting was that a lot of women in this age group turn to entrepreneurship not because it's some magic wonderful life but because they really have no choice Absolutely. And it's really important that we identify
3: this, that women do turn to entrepreneurship out of necessity, not out of desire. Now, anyone, I've been working in the entrepreneurship space for many years, and anyone will tell you entrepreneurship is hard. Um, But I think the really interesting piece of this as well, Candice, is that out of all the women that I interviewed, Uh, For my master's research on this question, 100% of those women did not call themselves entrepreneurs. So all of this incredible programming that's out there that's being delivered by the federal government, the provincial government, municipalities, all of them that are all involved in this economic development support. Not one of them is actually changing the narrative about how to engage these women. They don't see themselves in the literature. They don't see themselves in the imagery. They don't see themselves even in the titles of the programming. And quite frankly, the programming that's out there for startups and entrepreneurs, and I use the quotes on those, is that... Um, You know, it's it's a lot of it is just a cut and paste copy of Techstars and Y Combinator, which are well-known, globally recognized, phenomenal programs. Um, But women are not invited into that space because they just don't see themselves in that space traditionally.
1: So what are the solutions? What can we do to raise awareness around this?
3: Well, I think, honestly, one of the first things that I need to raise awareness about is just that women who are 40 to 64 have been completely ignored in this she recovery or in this pandemic recovery. There's literally no consideration. Now, as with most questions, people come to these things because of lived experience. And, you know, I was in this age group. And so, you know, uh, I'm currently 52 years old. And I look at women who are in this age group that either have still children at home or have grandchildren or have parents that they're taking over. They're for, so we're we're called the the, the sandwich generation, um, and part of it is recognizing that the programming, the resources, the way to engage women traditionally um, has just ignored these women and these kinds of constraints that they have in their lives, and the way that they're doing it is not the same for everybody across the board. It just doesn't serve them at all. So part of it is, as you said, from the very top of this, if we don't get women in these stories uh, in front of policymakers, and then we we will remain invisible within those policy. So I'm trying to absolutely change that and, and build and amplify the stories that are
1: surrounding this issue. Yeah, you know, maybe we should be doing a top 40 over 40 instead of all these lists of uh, top top 25, <laughs> under 25.
3: Literally you know, one of those s- pieces. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sitting on my mind map of like, how do we disrupt this and change this, right? And uh, and I think it's, you know, there. I mean, there's a lot of great memes out there that are like, you know, don't give me the top 20 under 20, you know, give me like the 70 year old who's written their first piece or their first novel, or, you know, the 60 the year old who's built, you know, a huge, a huge success. Company. Like those are stories that just come with a whole bunch of different background and insights. And, you know, this is a huge question, right? And it's a huge issue. And, you know, it's hard to be pithy about it and say, here's how we can move these things forward. Um, But I really do think it's really important that we actually start identifying that as much as we uh, honor and applaud and celebrate, you know, a universal daycare approach, except for Ontarians, apparently up until this point, you know, that these are really important things. So this isn't an either or situation, this is a both and situation.
1: All right. I agree. We have to talk about this a lot more, Karen. I thank you for bringing this to my attention. Uh, I hope to have you back again soon. But in the meantime, where can people connect with you and find out more about your research?
3: I really appreciate this, Candice, so much. Uh, Anyone can reach me through my website, which is womendisrupted.com or .ca, whichever you prefer. And uh, just send me a note through there and I will definitely get back to you.
1: All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. They say... Time heals everything but Stand your when
4: in. For the
1: What started as an idea to find food waste solutions for their little apartment, my next guest and her business partner quickly turned their inspiration into something big. Tarot is a small appliance that transforms food waste into ready-to-use fertilizer in just a few hours, odorless and noise-free. The brainchild of Elizabeth Colomb and Valerie Lalibert, Tarot is set to launch in the U.S., followed by Europe later this year, and was recognized at the Grand Prix du de Design Awards in 2021, winning three categories, including Consumer Kitchen and Tech Product. Elizabeth is joining me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Elizabeth. Hello, thank you for having me. It is, I rarely get excited about products, but I have to tell you, this one is brilliant uh, in so many ways, but mostly that it's going to, it, it really does work to save the earth. So first, let uh, let's. what was sort of the initial moment where you said, there's got to be something better? Yes, uh,
4: we were, Valérie and I, my co-founder, were uh, both at the University of Laval in product design. Uh, We met during our study there. And uh, for our final project, we decided to team up to uh, design a product uh, to solve an environmental problem uh, and to encourage people to do their part for the environment. In uh, Quebec City, where we are from, there is no municipal collection. So there is no uh, way to compose our food waste at home. Uh, so we decided to work on this, uh, this problem and to uh, uh, to find a solution. Uh, we were both living in an apartment with no solution to compose uh, our food waste. Um, and we didn't have any other space to compose. So we uh, decided to create a new technology that will revolutionize home food waste recycling, so the Teru Food Recycler. Uh, our challenge was to design an attractive household appliance that could recycle our food waste at home quickly, and most importantly, without
1: orders. <laughs> right. And you know, you said you you didn't have municipal collection for compost where you lived, but I live in a city where we do have a compost collection. It's still not enjoyable. It's messy, it's smelly. In the summer, you can get gross little things. And unfortunately, it discourages people from participating where your product really is a game changer because it's so easy. There's no smell, it's quick, and it's almost something you do daily, right? Is you just becomes a habit with your food? Yes, exactly.
4: Uh, as you prepare your meals, you simply fill the Terra appliance with any food scraps left over. Uh, the Terra appliance can process all types of food waste. You will normally compose vegetable peels, fruit cars, even meat and dairy products. Uh, with the appliance, when the appliance is full, you just have to push a button. And within three to eight hours, it will recycle your food waste. And you will get a nutrient-rich fertilizer that you can use in your plants, in your lawns, in your garden. Uh, So it's a a grinding and eating process that uh, reduces your food waste volume by 90%. Uh, And your fertilizer, like I said, you can
1: use it right away or store it in a steel container for up to one year. That's incredible. And because I love that you said that because Right now we're heading into spring and summer and gardening, so it's it'll be great to have this appliance uh, to use all summer. But during the winter, you can set it aside and it's ready to go for you in the spring.
4: Yes, exactly, and it's perfect for Canada when uh, because the winter is uh, complicated to compost at home, so it's a great uh, product to use
1: uh, all year long. And how long did it take you from concept to having this? Ready to sell? How long did that process take you? Uh,
4: it takes uh, close to uh, to three or four years. We uh, finished our our bachelor degree in two thousand seventeen, and we were we start from zero, so <laughs> with no money, with no, <laughs> we really start from zero, and uh, um, yeah, we needed to to develop the technology to find money. Uh, and uh, finally, we uh, we did a, a crowdfunding campaign in 2019 that helps us to uh, reach close to two million dollars. So at this moment, it really gives us the the what we need to create Terro and to develop to finalize the development of the product. And then, and the production finally start in September 2021. So at this moment, people start to receive the appliance because during the crowdfunding campaign, people pre-order their appliance. Uh, So we um, we started production and the deliveries in September. And now actually, uh, more than uh,
1: 4,000 people have an appliance in their hands and use it at home. The appliance itself, let's just talk about it for a minute because it's quite attractive looking. So was that a goal for you to have it to be something that you would want to put out?
4: Yes, absolutely. Because we knew that people are afraid of composting, um, or love to have something attractive on their countertop in the kitchen. Uh, people are pretty proud of their kitchen and everything. So they want something that can be uh, and uh, they want to use it and don't be afraid a to tell people they are doing the compost at home. Uh, so it was really important that can fit in any decor and uh, that it will be really easy
1: uh, and integrate facility in the, in the kitchen. Okay, let's talk about the technology just for a minute. I mean, don't go too deep because I'm sure most of us are going to go right over our heads. But... <laughs> Except for the scientists out there listening. But uh, just tell me a little bit about the technology of how it takes it from food waste to uh, usable fertilizer in a few hours. It's the grind
4: and um, a dry technology. So it's a combination of both of those things that uh, allow you to have the dry fertilizer at the end. It's an automatic process. So uh, the appliance is, intelligent, if I can say. So if when the, 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 the food waste will be completely dry, it will stop. So it can be in between three to eight hours and it depends of the humidity of the food waste. Um, so uh, if you have more uh, juicy food waste, like uh, full uh, fruit, for example, it can be more long. Uh, but, um, if it's simple food waste, if I can say vegetable
5: peels, for example, it's uh, an average of four hours. That's incredible. It's amazing. Um, all right. I love this product. I love everything about it. So
1: I want people to be able to find it because it's, it is earth month and we have to do our part. So where can people find the tarot and where can they uh, connect with you and on social media?
4: Uh, They can uh, buy a tarot appliance uh, directly on our uh, website on tarotinnovation.ca. It's the only way to uh, buy uh, an appliance right now. Uh, But we want to participate to more shows to to, uh, present the appliance in person and people can touch it and see it. Uh, but, uh, we, they can, um, uh, follow us on our Instagram page um, on product and Facebook page, uh, too. So this is where they can find us.
1: <laughs> All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for inventing this absolutely stellar, stellar appliance. I, I'm just thrilled with it. Uh, and uh, I hope everybody goes out and gets ones because uh, we we really could use that rich fertilizer on our soil right now. So thank you so much for joining me today, Elizabeth. Thanks so, so much for you to having me. Yeah, Betrayal, believe it or not, can be an opportunity. With the proper life coaching skills and full understanding of your identity, you will not only feel equipped but empowered to live a vibrant, fulfilling life no matter the adversity you've been through or will encounter. Stephanie Rourke-Jackson, founder of Beaking Coaching and Leadership, is on a mission to help people step into the full potential of their true essence. She is joining me today to discuss betrayal trauma and how to find the opportunities within it. Welcome to the show, Stephanie.
6: Hi, Candace. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, I mean, let's just start with, you know, what's the definition of betrayal trauma?
6: Yeah, so betrayal trauma is like any other kind of trauma. There is a system, a nervous system overload that happens when you are confronted by something that is dangerous or threatens you.
1: So it's a little bit like the grieving process, I imagine.
6: Yeah, and betrayal trauma, it's it's about having broken trust uh, in a relationship, whether it's from infidelity or excessive pornography use, or there's there's something that's deceptive that is now cutting through a couple's relationship and very much like the grieving process, the initial reaction or the stages of grieving are shock. Obviously, you're in tremendous amount of shock when something is happening that was behind your back. And then from there, you're bargaining. What did I do wrong? Um, How could we have uh, done things differently? No, this didn't really happen. To the anger, there's a lot of rage. There's a lot of anger that comes out. Obviously, you've been hurt. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment. And then extreme sadness, just this loss of, wow, that's not what I thought I had. I didn't sign up for this. And this feels heavy. It's prickly. It hurts. There's pain attached to it. There's pain attached mentally, physically, emotionally to it. And then finally, you get to a place where there's acceptance. And that can take a very long time, Candice, months to even a couple of years of like, this really happened. So now what? Which leads to hope. And if you hang on and you go through the proper steps of recovery, you can have amazing healing and become something stronger and more resilient because of it.
1: I think it's important to note for people because you're coming at this a little bit with authority on the subject matter because this has in fact happened to you, correct?
6: Yes, that is true. I am a trained and professional coach, but I have lived experience with infidelity. Ten years ago, my husband came home and dropped the biggest bomb um, and confessed that he had been having an affair, which then, you know, triggered me to go into a healing state and us. So we had um, not only just betrayal trauma, which is the individual or the, the person who's been betrayed and going through all of that, but there's also relational trauma, the trauma to the marriage itself. And both of those need to be treated separately, but they go alongside of each other. So individual trauma, betrayal, uh, some of the steps and some of the, the really important things that have to happen is safety needs to be secured. Because it's gone. At this point, it's totally gone. So you want to be working with experts, therapists, doctors, um, psychiatrists, coaches, recovery groups that have um, experience in this, that can hold the space, but then ask the proper questions and guide you on a treatment plan that is going to work for you.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note, you know, those initial responses we have to things like this, you know, you want to be calm and measured in your responses because it's all chain reaction. It can be a positive chain reaction going forth from this occurrence, or it could be negative, right? Well, it's going to be negative at first. (laughs) Let me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
6: clearly it's not like, well, this just happened. So let's see how we're going to put some positive vibes out there and spin this to make it work in my favor. That is not, that is nobody's case um, initially. But you're right, it's with your mindset of determining how are we or how am I going to handle this? What kind of life do I want to have? Because I can either stay stuck in this shame spiral and think that my life is over because the worst has happened or I can say, hey, something really terrible has happened. This adversity is something that I'm facing. But the challenge and the opportunity here for me is what can I do about it? How can I become stronger? How can I grow? What can I learn about myself? And how can I change even some of who I am? And I'm not saying that, you know, that the person who's been betrayed needs to completely change because they were doing it all wrong. That is not true. In fact, it is not your fault. Your spouse made a choice without you. Didn't come to you and say, Hey, honey, I was thinking maybe I should have an affair. What do you think? I mean, this was done behind your back. So you can either say, well, I, you know, uh, you can stay in that place of shame and discomfort and embarrassment, or you can choose to say, okay, this is what happened. What are we going to do? Who am I going to bring into my tribe? Like, who are the people that I trust? Where do I feel safe? How am I going to rebuild? And there are some changes. There are some things that in my personal life, like I had to really look at. Okay. This is a
1: deep Heavy subject. I wish we had a lot of time to talk about it. We don't, unfortunately. I do hope this doesn't happen to anybody, but if it does, I want them to be able to connect with you. Uh, You have excellent advice on this subject matter, um, amongst other things. So, where can people find you?
6: Yeah, I'm at beaconcoaching.ca, and my my uh, handle for Instagram is at beacon_underscore_coaching.ca. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Stephanie Roark Jackson. And I would welcome a 30 minute clarity call with anybody who wants to even talk about any stage that they're at to provide hope, help, healing. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're so welcome.
3: More with Candace Sampson and What She Said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
1: My next guest is a social media manager and consultant in Toronto, in addition to being a freelance journalist. June Finley aims to create positive change, inform, teach, learn, and start a discussion that helps us connect with one another. She recently had the opportunity to interview Stephen Dorsey, author of Black and White, an Intimate Multicultural Perspective on White Advantage and the Paths to Change, for an article that is currently in Canadian Business that discusses what Stephen has coined as white advantage. June joins me now to discuss. Welcome back to the show, June.
7: Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. Always good to be back and talk with you.
1: So I I found this very interesting because he, he, you, at the beginning of the article, you talk about how people took adf- ad- offense to white privilege. And by changing it to white advantage, they were more receptive to the ideas being discussed. Isn't that interesting how language can affect that so much?
7: Yes, absolutely. And Stephen is a marketer first. So that's how we actually connected. And got through a lot of the ideas because we understood each other that way as both Black people working in the marketing world. And we're both very conscious as to how, you know, semantics are a real thing, especially when it comes to marketing. And because our job is to understand how people feel, think and do. And so I found it interesting that when he just switched it a little bit, because even as a copywriter, but from day to day, I know that how even just the slightest tweak can really affect people. And so he, he was able to do that when he was starting to talk with people after, um, the Joyce Floyd murder and the protests that are happening afterwards. And his white friends and colleagues were coming to him. And he was like, he was talking about white advantage, white, not white advantage, white privilege, defund the police, all the other, uh, I guess social justice warrior terms that are commonplace and have been around for a while, for a little while anyway, but have now entered the public mainstream of, of discussion, right? But for a lot of people, it turns them off in terms of, like, because, you know, people just want to learn something very quickly or understand something very quickly, where it's, like, it's very binary. But things like this are non, are not binary. It is not black and white. There's a lot of gray areas, especially when it comes to race. And so sometimes that's why it's important that sometimes when you coin a term, it's at least it does its best to at least explain a situation, you know, in, in an elevator pitch in 30 seconds or less or something like that. So with Steven, he was finding that, the, the term white privilege was not great because even if people were not coming from privilege, like say they're coming from lower middle class or lower class, they were like, well, white privilege just means I'm rich and I'm not rich. And so he found that with saying white advantage, every white person has advantage. The point of the whole term is that the reason that they seem to be getting ahead and do get ahead of everyone else that isn't white is because they're, they are the byproduct of a system that is built for and by white people. And so as a white person, no matter what, what part of the country you're from, you know, what, what socioeconomic status, the fact that you are white puts you above everyone else. And that's the point he tried to get across. And that's where he found white advantage got that point across better than white privilege.
1: And so did he find that people were more receptive to listen to the messaging around diversity, equity, inclusion when you talk about white advantage as opposed to white privilege?
7: Yes. So at the very least, if they didn't like, for him, he was saying a lot of people were at least starting to be like, oh, let me start doing the work. Because he talks about this in his book where even on his own Um, growing up in the 70s and 80s across Canada as a biracial man, he had some unlearning to do himself because he was raised by a white family. Um, And so he kind of likens that to how people in general, but especially white folks, have to really uh, do the unlearning, and white advantage is the gateway to all of that.
1: It was a really great article that you wrote, and it got me thinking about defund the police because you know uh, people get their backup about that expression without really understanding the messaging behind it. Uh, so maybe it's just a question of you know changing the the mess the the wording to make it more palatable to people to take the time to listen. To it, as opposed to getting their backup about those two words, uh, you know, or so sort of those three words together. Yeah,
7: absolutely. And there's a great example of this that a friend of mine, who is white, but who I've known since I was 14 years old, so we're very close friends and we've known each other for a very long time. She told me about she read the article and she ended up talking to her mother about it. Both of her parents, we've we've half joked about this in the past, but she's always joked that her parents are very quote unquote old school. Like we grew up in Scarborough together. We're used to being around multicultural folks all the time. But at the end of the day, white folks are still going to do what they're going to do sometimes. They're just, you know, insulate themselves with other white folks. But her mom and dad have actually been open to that discussion since the article because she texted me over the weekend and said, I had a conversation with my mother who was a manager at a large corporation for many, many years. And she's talking about the difference between white privilege and uh, white advantage. And I know them personally, so I know that they are not, they were, you know, firmly middle class. And so they they wouldn't. They didn't come from money. And so that was their main Um, adverse reaction to the whole white privilege thing because my friend was just like oh yeah of course that's a whole thing that's real but for her to explain that to her parents who are um, quote unquote baby boomers you know having the term white advantage to really explain that they they have an advantage over everyone else because of who they are and what the system is built, who the system is built for, her mother was very much more receptive to it and so they had a good conversation and she's able to read a little more about it and so if that's what this whole article and really the book starts, that's really what, that's, that's really all this is about.
1: Absolutely. Getting people to listen. June, uh, I think it's a great article. So where can people find it? Where can people connect with you? And of course, where can they find Stephen's book?
7: Yeah, so Stephen's book, I believe, is from Nimbus Publishing. Um, they're actually a great follow on Twitter, as is Stephen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I believe the book is also available at Indigo, because he was posting something about it, being an Indigo the other day. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Lady Niobe. You can find me on LinkedIn at, this, um, at June Finley, of course. Uh, but Twitter is the best place to find me if you want to talk about this. So hit me up.
1: All right. Thanks so much for joining me today, June. Thank you, Candace. Thanks. Dalai Lama once said that sleep is the best meditation, and after the stress of the last couple of years, we definitely need good sleep to stay mentally and physically at our best. As more and more people turn to sleep hygiene to ensure the best possible setting for getting optimal sleep, my next guest wants you to take a good look at your pillow. Adelina Doppler is a forward-thinking CEO behind Winks, Canadian-owned pillow, sleep, and wellness technology company. Adelina joins me now to share how Winx is changing the way we rest our heads each night. Welcome to the show, Adelina. Thank you, Candace. Nice to be here. So I have to say, I mean, the pillow is probably almost as old as humanity, really, when you think about it, a place to put your head down. What inspired you to change really what's been in place for many, many years now as far as pillow technology?
5: Um, So what inspired us is we constantly were like myself, I was constantly losing sleep, always tossing, turning, fluffing my pillow, putting my arm under my pillow and just really not getting a restful sleep. So um, a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends, Dr. Will Hyderi, and I started talking about it. Well, I was complaining about it and he's like, let's think of something. Let's do something. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I just need good sleep. Let's figure this out together. So you looked at customizing pillows
1: then for the individual, which I think is great because, you know, I sleep on my side, for example, uh, which requires a different pillow than somebody who might sleep on their back
5: or somebody who might sleep on their stomach. So is, are those the things you look at when you're customizing pillows? Absolutely. So we do we do like a a questionnaire for people and they kind of go through these questions and they figure out what is their preference because everyone has their own sleeping style. But we did try to incorporate as well um, the proper way you should sleep. Like so the pillow actually promotes you to sleep how you should, which often many of us don't. So It is really customizable in that way. And it's really kind of sleep training in that way as well.
1: And there's other elements that you've pulled in as well. So I noticed on one of your pillows, for example, that you add copper. Absolutely.
5: Yes. So we have two right now. Uh, We've added copper and we've infused the whole pillow with it. it. It's a little different in that way. So the entire pillow is infused with copper or ceramic. And both of those have different benefits. So depending on your questionnaire and the things that you answer, it will kind of direct you where you need to be. So copper is healing, ceramic is cooling. And, you know, there's different benefits to both, but both are amazing.
1: I imagine that ceramic being cooling uh, for women in menopause would be racing for that pillow.
5: You know what? <laughs> it, it, I'm just hitting there. So <laughs> I hate to give away my age, but I am just hitting there. and it has made a world of difference having the ceramic because I had the copper as well. And I switched to the ceramic once I hit that stage. So once people go to your site then and start to fill in, how long does it take to figure out what pillow is right for them? So the the questionnaires, I think about six questions total, kind of goes through sizes, preferences of density and all that. It, it probably takes a, a few minutes to go through the whole quiz and then it pops out Um the best recommendation for you. Again, because it's customizable, you can change or choose whatever you like. Okay. And of course you've
1: gone into other products outside of pillows, right? So what other products do you offer for people to get the best sleep possible?
5: Right now we have a Mulberry silk case, which is phenomenal. It's, I mean, everyone loves silk, but it's got great properties to it. It's great for the skin but it's very comfortable. We have sleep masks to help block out light, which is really important at night. And we have sleep sprays because everybody needs a nice smelling sleep spray. I, I, I believe anyways.
1: I have to agree with you too on the sleep mask. I wasn't, you know, I, I became a convert a few years ago um, because I just couldn't get my room dark enough. Uh, there was always some sort of light Coming somewhere, and I'm a very light sleeper, and sleep masks are really a game changer in helping me get sleep and stay asleep. So,
5: what's next for wakes? Then, so uh, coming down the line, right now we're actually um, including all the kids in out there because really our our products have been geared towards um, adults, but we're coming out with a kids line now. Um, we're coming out with a new pillowcase, a ten cell, which is a renewable sustainable fabric and that's really important to us. Um and yeah, that's what's coming down soon. Dropping soon, we hope. All right. Incredible. Uh so if people want to check out the pillows for themselves, perhaps order one, uh, where can they go?
1: And is there a social channel they can follow along?
5: Absolutely. They can go to order at www.wanks.com and that's triple Z. And we are on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
3: Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.